Well, hello, hello. You are listening to a pastor in his newspaper with Dr. Castro, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. I am Dr. Castro, and it is so wonderful to be able to record today. Uh, it's been a, a week or so. Um, was out of town in Florida for a week, and then last week was catching up and busy with other things and didn't have an opportunity uh, to record anything, but I am ready today. Um, since then, since my last recording, I've seen Top Gun 2. I actually saw it um, uh, the night it came out. Awesome movie. Brought back a lot of great memories from Top Gun 1 and uh, Maverick. And, and uh, so it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Got to watch it with my dad. And so if you haven't seen Top Gun 2 and you have an opportunity to go, uh, I would encourage you to go. Especially if you're a fan of the first movie or you're a fan of airplanes and fighter jets and or you're a fan of action movies or just good popcorn movies um i think that uh i just want to encourage you to go see it in the theaters my mom actually had to see it in the imax so i feel a little left out that i didn't see it on on that platform maybe i need to uh they're still showing it in that in imax are probably showing jurassic world dominion or whatever now but um Anyway, so I did get to see that. Uh, also, I've been watching big Star Wars fan. I've enjoyed most of the Star Wars TV shows. Uh, have not been enjoying Obi-Wan Kenobi, actually. Uh, I feel like they have are kind of making the same mistakes they did with Luke Skywalker in the newer Star Wars trilogy. And uh, so we'll see if it improves. I haven't watched all the episodes. I just finished episode four. So I think there's two more episodes that I have to watch. And so maybe the show ends well, um, but it is cool to have Obi-Wan back and Darth Vader. If you haven't seen him, Darth Vader's in the show, but uh, sorry, um, if you're a fan, you probably already know this and seen it already, but, um, but yeah, so, um, so kind of making my way through that. If you are a fan of Stranger Things, the fourth season is very dark, uh, extremely dark, very demonic. So I want to encourage you not to watch it um, if you don't like that kind of stuff, um, don't enjoy that kind of thing. Don't. Um, I wouldn't let your kids watch it. I would be careful in watching it. It's just very, very, very dark. And so um, that's saying you shouldn't watch it. That's to say that you're you're sinning if you watch it. But uh, just be aware, it's very dark, and so be be cautious with it. Be careful who you watch it with. Uh, make sure your kids don't watch it. Um, it's very dark. So. Uh, just trying to catch up with things going on, things that I've watched and, and just kind of give you my take real quick on this. Uh, Steph Curry is the best basketball player of his generation. Uh, I know that uh, that includes uh, players like um, um, the Greek Freak. I know that includes uh, Kyrie Irving. I know that includes... Um, um, AD. I know that includes Kevin Durant. I know that includes Kevin Harden. Um, I know that includes a lot of players. I'm not saying that Steph is better than than um, LeBron James. I am a bigger Steph Curry fan than LeBron James, but Steph Curry is amazing. Uh, he the way he shoots the basketball is so much fun to watch. The way he handles the ball is so much fun to watch, and so excited for him. 
that uh, he won his fourth championship, first MVP of the finals. Um, I think he'll at the end of his career will probably be a top five, top ten greatest player of all time. And just so cool, someone that size is so effective and, and impacts basketball so much. A game that is dominated by tall, tall people. Steph um, is the little man, the little guy. And of course, he's over six feet tall. So standing next to normal people, Steph would seem like a, a, to- a tower. But uh, he's a short man for the NBA, and he is, I think, the best basketball, basketball player of his generation. Uh, another thing, a sad note, uh, the Tennessee baseball team, the best the best, the best Tennessee baseball team record-wise ever. Uh, one of the best record-wise in the entire SEC in baseball did not make the College World Series. They lost in the third game to Notre Dame. Um, so Tennessee baseball in 2022 is probably now the best team to not win the College World Series. They didn't even make the College World Series. And so that's a bummer. The team, uh, it's Oklahoma and Ole Miss in the finals. Tennessee swept Ole Miss at the beginning of the year in Oxford. So it just hurts that my Vols are not in the World Series. They were the best team all year, number one all year, and then just played their worst game at the wrong time. So it happens in baseball. It happens in all sports. And so sad, but um, 57-9 this year, and hopefully it can come back next year and and um, push for a chance to win the College World Series. But very proud of the Vols, baseball, uh, SEC champs, basketball, SEC champs. So looking forward to football season starting soon. So not we are not going to spend our time talking about sports or movies uh, or TV shows, but we're going to be talking about politics. And um, this is, you know, when we talk about the news and we talk about newspapers and what's going on in the world, politics is a major part of that. Now, news events, while there is political interpretations, events are events, right? They're stories. And, and we've looked at the war in Ukraine. We looked at inflation. We've looked at other things that have gone on the last few months. And while they are political interpretations of these events, they are events. But we're really not talking about a particular news event today. We're talking about liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats, left and right terms that we obviously we use left and right directionally, but we know in politics, left and right means something different than just pure directional uh, this, uh, directional um, positions. Left and right are political terms. Left defining liberal or Democrats. Right defining conservative or Republicans. Um, so this is an article in the, news, in, the, in the Wall Street Journal last weekend called The Myth of Ideological Polarization by Vernal Lewis and Harak Lewis. Um, the myth of the left and right. And so the argument here is that the terms left and right are actually myths, even though we use these terms as if they are have these firm definitions, but they actually don't. And I actually was thinking about this, and, and I am a huge uh, fan of the TV show The West Wing. My wife can attest to my love affair of the show. Um, and being a poli-sci major, uh, started watching the show while I was in college and uh, just have always been a big fan of the show, watch it 
on nonstop and watched it through season one to season seven multiple times and currently I'm watching through it again and in, in the fifth season, which is the worst season. It's still the West Wing. I also watch it. And I, you know, there's been some clamor uh, going on because there's been TV shows that have been rebooted, or rebooted, which is kind of a common thing for shows to get have a comeback. And not sure exactly how successful those reboots have been. I haven't really followed the different versions, but you know, Saved by the Bell came back. Um, I think Will and Grace came back. There's been push to bring. Um, to bring back the office. And so there's been questions for Aaron Sorkin, who is the creator of the West wing. Would you bring the West wing back? Um, and they've asked the actors who were in the show, will you come back? They've said, Oh yeah, we'd love to come back and do, um, to bring back the West wing and do a reboot. And of course there's just discussions. How would they do a reboot? How would that, what would that look like? Um, but that really isn't important to me. Obviously I would love for the show to come back in my kind of nostalgic, uh, heart loving the show thinking there's no way it could be it could be bad but the question is would I actually like a reboot of the West Wing in 2022 with it with the current politics that are going on right now would I even like the show um, when I think about the you know the actors Martin Sheen Rob Lowe Allison Janney Bradley Whitford Richard Schiff Joshua Molina Duke uh, Dooley Hill all these are the major, major characters, major actors in the West Wing. And and what kind of show would they make today about the, about the White House, knowing that the characters were Democrats, they were liberals, they were left. Now, I am a conservative, I'm a Republican, I worked for the GOP after college and, and claimed to, you know, I, I claimed to be a Republican. But love the show. So there was a certain thing where, and I've talked to other Republicans who like politics who also love the West Wing. And so the West Wing was always a show, even though the, the characters in the show, it was a Democratic administration. It was a liberal administration. Republicans loved the show as well. There was a, it was a kind of a common ground, a commonality. There was things that, that even conservatives loved about the show. But would they, would we even be able to would we love it today if it was made today, if it was um, reflecting current political climate? And, and I'm afraid to say that I probably wouldn't like a 2022 West Wing reboot. And let me explain to you why. And I think this article uh, gets to the, not necessarily, it doesn't talk about West Wing, but um, it does talk about this, the, the change and the progression of what is left and what is right, what is liberal, what is conservative. And this actually started a few uh, weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Uh, Elon Musk, um, I think this was actually before he uh, he bought, you know, he, he, he bought Twitter. We'll see if that actually ends up being finalized. But uh, Elon Musk uh, kind of tweeted a photo and he was talking about just the evolution and the change in um, what is a liberal and what is a conservative. He presented this 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 imagery, this this photo, is that in 2008 he claimed to be a center left. This is Elon Musk, but the way that definitions have changed and the way the parties have have gone and moved, now Elon Musk would be center right in 2021, 2022. 
even though his political beliefs haven't changed. And basically saying that he hasn't changed any of his positions going back from 2008, but even though he hasn't changed any of his positions, he is now considered center-right because liberal or left has been redefined. And, and so there's a, as these, de- these words and these labels have changed in their definitions, people who haven't changed any of their positions have actually now been lumped or labeled with a terminology they wouldn't have used about themselves in 2008. So left and right aren't fixed and enduring philosophical belief systems. They're merely social groups whose ideas, attitudes, and issues, positions constantly change. They're constantly changing. So using the term you're a liberal or you're a conservative or you're, a le- you're left or you're right, people are using those terms as if it's a fixed label when really those labels are not fixed. Social conformity, not philosophy, explains their beliefs. Those who refuse to conform and maintain their political views independent to a tribe will appear to have switched groups, even though they stay consistent while the ideologies change around them. And so Elon Musk hasn't conformed to the leftward project westward move of the democratic party or liberals and so he has seemed to switch groups even though he actually hasn't officially or deliberately switched groups so really what we're seeing is liberals don't move to the left they redefine the left elon musk dislikes the new left Conservatives redefine the right. So if you were a never Trumper, you remember the never Trumpers when Trump ran for president in 2016, they didn't like the new version of conservative or right. And so when people who are never Trumpers were claimed to be, were able labeled with the term liberal, the issue is that they didn't like the new version of the right. It's not as if their, any of their, their political positions had changed at all. It doesn't mean that they had changed their mind or actually chose to be liberal, but instead they just chose not to follow along or conform their views to what is now considered the new right or the new conservative as Trump redefined what right was or redefined what conservative was, what defined what Republican was. And some who were Republicans for a long time, like George Will and some others who didn't like the new definition and refuse to be conformed to that new position. And so those who are part of that group, part of that position, who have actually conformed or actually haven't conformed but now are redefined as right, um, sees these former Republicans, these former conservatives actually now liberal, even though they've never changed their positions in any way. So new social groups were redefined to include this, especially when it concerns to conservatives. Conservatives redefine conservative to include nationalism, natives, isolationists, protectionist, and statist, to also include um, pro life and other con- social conservative views. And so they lumped in some, some new ideology that wasn't a part of the former conservative or right ideology even to a point because uh, former Republican president George W. Bush, who was seen as a 
strongly conservative during in the, when he was president and before he was president. But because he doesn't adopt to nationalism or protectionism or isolationism, he can actually be conserved by many in the right as actually a globalist, an interventionist, an immigrant activist, and he also is a never-Trumper. So he can actually be considered now more left or actually liberal because he doesn't he did not conform to the new definition. He disliked the new definition. And because he disliked the definition, he didn't um, adopt. And so some a part of that group of the new conservative, the new those who have redefined conservative, have opposed someone like President Bush, who at one point was considered a strong conservative and someone who was very right. So there's nothing actually uni- uni- uniting all the positions of either side. The parties have uh, um, have kind of gathered around the concept of left and right, but the concepts are fictions. Hence why if you disagree with someone on the political issue, you are seen as outside their ideological tribe and the response is hostility towards you. And so if you hold to a view that is rejected by the new political tribe, either be Republican, Democrat, left, right, conservative, liberal... There's hostility towards you, even though there's a certain like bewilderment or surprise by someone who thinks of themselves as conservative, but hold views that used to be conservative, but now no longer are conservative, but now are actually considered liberal or left. That new ideological tribe could actually consider you an outsider. And then that's why there's hostility towards you. Political scientists sometimes call the increasing anger between parties effective polarization but we would be better off just calling it increased hostility. The term polarization confuses the matter by suggesting that the parties have moved towards fixed ideological poles. Yes, partisans are increasingly angry, tribal, and isolated in media echo chambers, but to attribute this position on a mystical left and right spectrum misunderstands our policies entirely. Basically, he's saying is there is no fixed ideologically ideological poles there's nothing foundational to define what left and right is anymore and so there's hostility uh, towards towards those who who aren't full accepting to the ideological positions of these two dominant tribes which are left and right conservative liberal uh, progressive um, um, ultra-conservative, whatever terminology you want to use, all those terms are just synonyms of defining the dominant ideological camps or tribes or parties. And if you hold any type of view that is is left or right of the, of the tribe you thought you used to be a part of, you may, that hostility toward you is that you have not adopted to the full uh, views of that ideology. Even though as we've already discovered, ideologies change and, and move and, and redefine themselves constantly. The matter by, which, by suggesting that the parties have moved towards these, these poles are, 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 mis, are misleading and confusing. Today, to be conservative is, is to agree holistically with the definition of conservative right now. However, that definition will continue to change. 
So if you hold a view that is not within the conservative catalog of positions now, you're not a conservative anymore. And that's why you feel that hostility. That's why you, if you post something on social media or Facebook in opposition to what you think is a position that other conservatives hold and you are then perceive hostility, you're seeing that these, these definitions are constantly changing because they're not fixed. And so to use terms to label people, you're left, you're right, you're conservative, you're liberal, you're progressive, you're ultra right or you're ultra conservative, they really don't mean anything because the definitions are constantly changing and somewhat subjective to the particular person who's showing you hostility or opposition. Rather than fighting over which group has moved further leftward or rightward on a spectrum, Democrats and Republicans, not to mention political scientists, should dispense entirely with the fiction that there is a single spectrum to move around on. Doing so would help them think clearly about political issues and act charitably, charitably towards how outside their outside uh, towards outsiders' political tribe or those outside their political tribe. Um, I think that is helpful that um, not everyone has just adopted um, all the catalogs of a certain tribe's views. They saw different variables and different reasons. Having someone who holds a different view on a certain issue that you think that all conservatives hold or all liberals hold, you may find that not everyone's working on this perfect spectrum, that there is... Um, People are moving around constantly and holding positions on different issues for different reasons. We need to be very careful just labeling certain people left or right or conservative or Democrat um, without really understanding the reasons why or understanding uh, completely why they hold a certain political issue view or a certain opinion about a political issue. And we need to be careful how we just lump people in a certain group. And when even that person wouldn't even identify themselves with that group, like Elon Musk, he never identified himself with, um, with conservatives. He thought of himself as center left, which Republicans may have, or liberals may, or conservatives may have considered him liberal because he was center left. But now... He's considered center-right. Liberals will see Musk as someone who is conservative, even though he would never use that label to describe himself. So we need to be careful how we use labels, especially labels like this, these political labels, when they're so um, fluid in their definition. And when we think about in the church, because this is really, again, we're, we're, the point of this podcast is not just to talk about issues politically, but to, to bring them back to the church and to get a biblical perspective on news stories and things going on in the world. Obviously, this is a big issue. Uh, because of social media, because of, of being able to publicize openly your positions on things, there is, uh, by definition, there's going to be hostility. And there's going to be hostility with very little context because you're posting stuff that, that maybe people don't know you, they don't know your actions. They don't know your ethics. They don't know your character. They don't know anything about you. And then they bring, they criticize you even though they don't even know you and you don't know them. And so we throw around these labels and these, 
in these fluid fluid labels that have no fixed definition and using them them in absolute ways and using them in absolute terms as if you are this because I say that you are because you do not follow all this ideological tribe because you we're you're not part of us because you don't hold to this position like we do as if that tribe actually speaks with one voice, which it doesn't. Conservatives do not speak with one voice. Liberals do not speak with one voice. Democrats do not speak with one voice. Republicans do not speak with one voice. Left and right do not speak with one voice. That's why it's interesting, even when Republicans or Democrats have the majority in Congress, they still can't get things passed uh, because there's different voices even within one party, different agendas, different goals, and so those things do not speak with one voice, but people treat people as if they're outside a group because or outside a label or are given a certain label because they believe that actually the entire tribe speaks with one voice. And they're the main chief um, speaker for that group. So those in the church, we, we have to be careful because in the church, politics gets very messy in the church. And we throw around these labels at brothers and sisters in Christ, right, left, liberal, conservative. We are quick to label brothers and sisters with undefined terms. These terms are undefined. Why are we using absolute terms like this to label brothers and sisters in opposition? We use these terms to oppose them, to be hostile to them, to break in unity with one another. These terms do not mean the same thing they meant last week, last year. So why would we use these terms absolutely as a way of just dividing one another if they're fictitious terms? It seems as if churchgoers are more secure in their political positions than the gospel itself. If we know a brother and sister is a follower of Christ, that they believe in Christ, that they are saved by Christ, why are we more secure and some fictitious terminology or label than we are in their their identity with Christ, their where they stand with Christ. How did we get here? How did how did it come to be that many Christians seem more confident and outspoken about their political ideology than their Christian gospel? They're so quick and so uh, confident in labeling certain people liberal or progressive or left. Or right, or fundamental, or conservative, whatever the terminology they're using or labels they're using to oppose, to criticize. Why do so many Christians seem more at home in the family of their political tribe than the family of God? Why is that so? It seems that some Christians in the church, they feel actually more secure who they know who their friends are in their in their political tribe than they are in actually in the church hence why there's so much division in the church over political matters people are so quick and so confident in being able to say well that's wrong but yet actually when it comes to the gospel some brothers and sisters some christians are slow to be able to identify what's actually biblically wrong what is not the gospel what is actually not a part of God's family. Things seem right. They seem politically right, but actually are actually gospel or biblically wrong. 
While the political religions of the left and right may contribute to some astute observation regarding our cultural moment, the overconfident Hebrews, Hebrews of both tend to ignore the reality of sin's corrupting infection on every individual, culture, and political system. No matter how right we feel, political solutions won't ultimately be our salvation. If we start thinking they will, we'll put our trust in a false God. That was from Eugene Park in his article talking about the the just the unfortunate confidence that some people, some Christians have when it comes to political matters, but yet are so not confident about the gospel. Com, uh, far more confident to uh, to speak out against political error, but very weak to preach or proclaim the gospel itself. It's as if for many Christians, they are believing and putting their trust in a false God in which it would be political positions, which is really what Israel did in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 20, when we get the law, the Ten Commandments, it says in verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything, of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. This is the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And of course, the reason why I read that passage is what happens 12 chapters later. When Israel at the Mount Sinai, Moses is on the mountain and they convince Aaron to make a god. And this is interesting, the golden calf fiasco. And Aaron, it says, received the gold in chapter 22 from the hand, from their hand and fashioned it with a graving, full, graving tool and made a golden calf. And this is what they said. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so what's happened is, is they've associated the one true God, Yahweh, and they his rescuing of them from Egypt. He is the one that rescued them from the house of slavery. You should not, you should not, uh, you should not worship any other gods but me because they didn't get you out of Egypt. I did. And yet they worship a golden calf and give it the credit for taking them out of Egypt. Their trust has been changed from to God from God to God to this golden calf. He is the one, the golden calf is the one that rescued us from Egypt, and they feast in worship of it. And the confidence, the trust, the worship. And that's where we have to be careful. Again, using labels and putting our confidence in labels that are not fixed. God is fixed. Salvation in Christ alone is fixed. It will not be, it will not change. It will not be redefined in any way. Uh, Eugene Park continues in his discussion on this. He says, I want to, want to suggest that Christians ought to approach politics with radical humility, guarding against the brash certainty and overconfidence that leads to idolatry. And I think that is one of the concerns today is that there is an idolatry towards political ideology. There's an idolatry towards political tribes, but yet there is not a confidence in the gospel. And we should be confident in the gospel 
but humble in other matters and guarding against sin and overconfidence and arrogance that we typically have when we put our trust in other things. Let's instead put our confidence in Christ rather than yelling loudly at each other with off-putting certainty in our rightness and the other side's um, idiocy. Let's instead heed Paul's call to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Let's put on the confidence in Christ. Let's not throw on labels saying you're an idiot because you are a left. You're an idiot because you're a right. Let's mock in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, eager to maintain the unity, not quick to divide over things that aren't even fixed, that are fictitious, that are constantly changing, which are political positions, tribes. We need to allow the word and the spirit instead of social media and cable news to guide our responses to the crisis of our time. We need to check for the law in our own eye. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Jesus says, Judge not that you, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? There's a log in your eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. But when you take that speck out of that brother's eye, you will be humbled because you had a log in your eye. We are people of repentance, humility, and self-reflection. To be a Christian is to be repentant. We are repentant people. We're repentant creatures. We admit fault. We confess sin. We ask forgiveness from others. And we make amends. We are humble because we are sinners saved by grace. We are self-reflectant. We reflect on our sin. We confess our sin. We look at our hearts. We look at our lives and and say, where am I? Where are my blind spots? Where am I not living according to God's word? Where, where am I not trusting in his lordship? And we move to do so in humility and faithfulness and holiness to God. Our Savior and Lord was a servant. Check to see the blind spots in your own views according to scripture and prayer. Our Savior and Lord was a servant. Therefore, we should follow in his example and be a servant as well. Servants are humble. And the last thing is be certain of Christ. Is our certainty found in our Savior, or are we more certain of our politics? Are we more loyal to Jesus and animated by his mission than we are to loyal to a candidate and animated by their campaign? That's an important question we have to reflect on. I am not saying I'm perfect in this whatsoever. I mean, I'm a policy major. I love politics. I have very strong views on things, and I support candidates. Uh, some I support with money. And I have to remind myself as well, is my confidence and loyalty to a candidate 
Am I more motivated and animated about their political future than I am about God's mission or Christ's mission to be known and to be believed and to be um, honored and praised and worshiped? First Peter 5, 6 through 8. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that all the proper time, that at the proper time you may exalt, he may exalt you, causing all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. If we remember that our hope is in the gospel of Christ and not a candidate or a political movement, if we remember that God's word is the foundation of our views of the world and not a political tribe, if we remember that we are sinful and need to pray that the Spirit would reveal areas of weakness, that we would know more grace and understand understanding to others, then we will be slow to divide over political issues. We will be very slow to just simply label people with terms that are actually terms that are derogatory, terms that are used to say that we're I'm better than you are and not a term that brings unity or to edify one another. Be slow and humble and grateful with your interaction with politics among other people. Just be humble. Be slow. Be graceful. Don't be quick to judge. I love Jonathan Lehman. He is uh, writes a lot about politics and in the church and he did a book and that I would love to kind of do a book review podcast on that at some point in the future. But Jonathan Lemmy writes in How the Nations Rage. He says, as Christians, we should be the first to stop self-justifying and the first to self, um, self-judge when necessary. Our prejudice and biases are so natural that repenting of them is a lifelong project. Some of us may disagree about immigration, a certain candidate, tariffs, whatever. But our unity in Christ is more foundational to our identity than our political ideology. Maybe our brother and sister has an important perspective on an issue that God wants us to hear. Let us not be quick to judge, but let us be humble and pray for God to conform us to the image of Christ through every situation and relationship. Know that our salvation and hope comes through Jesus Christ alone, not in being orthodox with a political tribe that changes their definition of left and right, liberal and conservative every few weeks. Thankfully, our Savior and Lord never changes his mind or or redefines salvation. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone. It was the same in the first century. It is the same today, and it will be the same tomorrow as well. Hallelujah that my salvation is not determined by being correct with all my political positions, but my salvation is determined by the grace of God alone. He has declared me righteous because my Savior Jesus was perfect in every way. And we are not perfect in every way. We will not be perfect in our positions. We will not be perfect in our motivations. We will not be perfect in our intentions. We will not be perfect in our motives. We're not perfect. We don't make perfect decisions. We don't have perfect takes on things. We don't vote with perfection. Our intentions, even with our voting, is polluted by sin. But our salvation is not dependent on that. 
It's not rooted in that. It's rooted in Jesus and his perfection and his perfect righteousness. And he is perfect and is perfect and was perfect and will be perfect continuously into eternity in every way. Thank you for listening to a pastor in this newspaper. It's such a joy to be able to share this with you and pray and hope that this has been encouraging to you. Uh, Please, 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 please share this with others if you enjoy what you're listening to. And I'm very encouraged by that. Uh, Leave me a review if if you're able. Even if you don't like it, leave a one-star review. I prefer that than, than just than just indifference and so please do so and this uh, podcast again you can listen to this on apple Podcasts. you can listen to it on google wherever you get your podcast you should be able to find a pastor in his newspaper thank you again for joining me i uh, work here at central church here in memphis tennessee if you are in the memphis area please come visit uh here, here in Kyreville, tennessee um and we'd love to have you come visit us and worship uh here at central church on sunday um, but uh, if you are afar and you're listening to us, I just want to encourage you, if you are a Christian and you're not a part of the local church, please, 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 uh, please go and, 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 and take part in worship with Christ church, with Christ bride, with God's family. Please do so and be encouraged by God's church. It's not perfect in any way. If you've been a part of a church in the past that has divided over politics, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I hate that that is true. We do live in a fallen world, and we as Christians even sin. Uh, we sin, we, we break God's law, but we also sin towards one another, and that is an unfortunate. And that's why we, we look to the future when Christ returns, and he will redeem his bride in every way, and we will be with him forever, and there will be no sin, and there will be no pain, and there will be no political tribes, because there will be one King and Lord. And there will be no rival to that throne whatsoever. And there never will be any th- rival to that throne. Hallelujah for that truth. So thank you for joining us. And thank you for being with us. And keep reading the news with the Bible in your hand. See you later.